0: Yeah, and Christine, we I will hand this over to you, um, for you to take it away, and um, I will handle. I'll keep an eye on the chat box for you, and I'll also manage breakout rooms and things like that
1: for you. That's fabulous. Mm-hmm. Thanks wow. very much, Sheree. Hi everyone. Nice to see you all again, or nice to meet you if I haven't met you before. Um, Good my name. Well. My name is Christine Thompson. I'm based in Maidenhead in the UK. I'm an agile coach and um, I'm gonna talk to you a bit today about NLP strategies for coaching. So my coaching journey began about three and a half years ago with NLP. Um, So it's, it's where I first got to understand how to understand how I was thinking and how other people were thinking and how that can help us to improve what we're doing. NLP sometimes gets a little bit of a bad press as being a way to um, manipulate people. My experience is that that's not the case. You cannot make somebody do something that they don't want to do. This is about supporting people to achieve the goals that they want to achieve and not working for your own purposes but only for theirs. And hopefully that will become clear as we talk a bit more about it. So, this is a tiny snapshot of NLP. It's just a few bits and pieces that I've picked out for you today. So for anybody who's interested, there's a whole new world for you to dive into later. So we'll start, if I can get the slides to advance, we'll start by talking about what is NLP. So neuro-linguistic programming. It's about how our thinking produces our behaviour. It's about our patterns. So what is it that we're thinking? What happens as a result? And how does that form a pattern? When do we repeat things as a result of the ways that we're thinking? And how can we change that? How can we improve that? How does knowing how we think and how we behave allow us to think about better ways of doing that and to model doing something different? So NLP has a lot of strategies and actually interventions for helping people to choose to do something different in the way that they behave. So why do we want to do it? It teaches us why we do what we do. It shows us our patterns so that we can understand where our behavior is coming from. And it challenges us to do things in better ways. So it's all about being the best version of yourself. Um, and also helping others to be the best version of themselves too, which is why we're here today because we're talking about this in uh, the context of coaching. I found it incredibly useful for my own self-understanding and my own personal improvement and we can also use it for other people for that purpose too. And that's how we're focusing on it today. So just to explain a little bit more about our thinking patterns and where those come from, we'll take a look at DILT's hierarchy of neurological levels. So this has um, a set of things that we're aware of and some that we're not aware of. So we'll start at the bottom of the pyramid with our emotions, which drive our behaviors, which is what gives us our outcomes. These are the things that we're conscious of. So we're generally aware of how we're feeling and what behaviours we have and how that influences what happens to us in life. And the piece at the top of the pyramid is about who we are, our identity, which is made up of our values and our beliefs. And that's the piece that we are less conscious of so that sits behind the conscious thinking in our unconscious or our subconscious minds so we're not always immediately aware of our values and beliefs and how those make up who we are but it's those that are driving everything else so how we think about things how we value things what's important to us in life is going to influence our emotions how we feel about things. And that's going to influence our behaviours and our outcomes. So it's that hidden piece behind that's driving what actually we get out of life. So that's what DILT's triangle is is telling us. So we're going to look at that in a lot more detail. Before we do, I just want to have a think about some of the NLP principles for coaching. Um, NLP is a really... Bad um has a really bad habit of using jargon. So in NLP they are called presuppositions. So there's 16 presuppositions, and those are things that we presuppose or we expect to be true. So these are the beliefs that we have as coaches, as NLP practitioners. It's like the lens that we look through when we're coaching. So I've picked out the 12 that I feel are most relevant to coaching so that I can share those with you. So the first three are around our perceptions. So the NLP presuppositions or lenses or beliefs around this are the way we see the world isn't reality itself. We all look at things in our own way. We all see things differently. And that isn't necessarily what's real, what's out there. It's just our perception of what's out there. So we need to accept for ourselves and for our coachees that our world is just our view of the world, not how the world actually is. Respect the other person's model of the world. This means accepting that everybody sees things differently. Everybody else has a model and whether or not you like it, whether or not you agree with it, we need to respect that about each other. We need to appreciate that people have different ways of seeing things and to accept that and to respect that, not necessarily to agree with it. And again, I think when we're working with our coachees, it's really important to respect that they see things differently and if it seems alien to us that's fine because it's their view of the world and the third one in perception is that we believe as NLP practitioners and I think as coaches that everyone is doing the best they can with the resources they have available to them right now They might have other resources that they're not yet aware of. They haven't yet uncovered. But right now they're doing the best they can with what they have. And as coaches, we really need to accept that and support that in our coaches and know that what they are doing is the very best they're capable of right now. And also to remember that for ourselves. Right. Let's be kind to ourselves. We're all doing the best we can with what we have available to us right now. So that's a lens that we want to look through when we're coaching. The next set is around behaviours. So I've picked out three here, which are people are not their behaviours. The behaviours we see are a result of our emotions, which are a result of our values and beliefs, but it's not who we are. So being able to separate the two so that if we see bad behaviours, it's not what we might think as bad behaviours. It's not the person that's bad. It's just that they're getting an outcome that isn't serving them well. So just being able to separate the person from the behaviours and seeing the two as as quite different. But also using that information. So the most useful information about somebody for a coach can be their behaviour looking at what it is they are doing, because that's revealing to us what's behind that. It's revealing the emotions, the values and beliefs that are driving those behaviours. So it can be a really useful tell when working with people as to what is actually going on for them behind the scenes. And this third one is one of the ones that I found the most hard to get my head around every behavior is motivated by a positive intent people murder with a positive intent and that's an extreme case and I think most of us would accept that that doesn't feel positive to us but when people do things it's for a positive reason whether or not again you agree with that and again that's a lens that we're choosing to look through when we're coaching, when, we're, when we have this NLP practitioner stance that everything is done for a positive reason. But like I say, that's one that I really struggled with for a long time. And the third group is outcomes. So everybody is in charge of their own results. It's up to us what we get out of life, right? We take responsibility for what happens to us. We're in charge of our own results. Your coach is not in charge of your results. You are. Um, And I think as coaches, we all recognise that. There are no unresourceful people, only unresourceful states. So this ties back into what we were saying um, in the perception section um, about um, people have the resources they need But somehow, sometimes they get stuck in unresourceful states when they can't access those resources and they can't do what they need to do with them. So it's not that they don't have what they need, they're just stuck in a difficult state. And that's the piece that we're trying to coach them through. And the last one, one of my favorites that I pull out in many retrospectives there is no failure, only feedback. So when things look like they've gone wrong, When things look bad, is it, or is it feedback? Is it actually telling us what's really happened? Is it an experiment that we can use the results from to learn something new? So when we perceive failure, it's actually giving us information that we can use to change things. So those are the 12 stances or beliefs or presuppositions, whatever you want to call them, that I've picked out from the sets of NLP presuppositions that I think apply to coaching. So how can we use these? How can we as coaches use what we know about people's perceptions, their behaviours and their outcomes in order to support them? So that's what we're gonna go on and look at. So I've picked out three um, particular areas that we're going to focus on today. Um, And at the end of each section, you guys can go off and have a little conversation and see how it applies in your life, see see how you've experienced this and see how you would deal with it when it happens. So the first area that we're gonna have a look at is subconscious filters. So, our conscious mind is the tip of the iceberg. It's the very small part that we're aware of, that people see. But there's a huge piece behind that, which is our subconscious mind, which is affecting our values, our beliefs, how we think about things. So, that's the area where we have filters that change our view of the world. And there are three particular filters. Three that we most commonly use that influence the information that we receive and that change it. So we're going to take a look at each of those and see how those actually affect us. So the first one is our delete filter. This is where we selectively pay attention to some things and just ignore, overlook the rest. Just let them go. Because they don't fit our model of the world. We see something, it doesn't fit, and so it gets thrown out. It gets deleted. So we don't even notice and process that information because it got kicked out by our filter. So you could imagine a lot of information gets thrown out because it doesn't match what we believe. So that's our first filter. The second is our distort filter. So this says, This information doesn't match what I know, so I'm going to change it to match. So, you take some incoming data and you misrepresent it, change it, move it, alter it, so that it fits your model of the world so that you can then accept it. So, we see something comes in, we change it. So, the information we're processing is actually different than what was out there. And our third is generalise. So this is about global conclusions. So we have one or two experiences and we make a pattern out of it. We say, well, this if happened once, this is always going to happen. This is a pattern I see a lot with my children. If this happened once, then this must be the rule. This must be how it always is. And we make a generalisation out of something and that can cause a lot of anxiety because if it happened once, it's going to happen every time. And that's what I see a lot with my kids, that anxious feeling because once it went wrong and therefore it's always going to go wrong. Well, is it always going to go wrong? So those are the three filters that we most commonly use. So we're going to spend a few minutes having a think about those. Cherie's kindly going to pop you all into breakout rooms for five minutes so you might want to screen grab this or take a quick note or something so that you can remember what it is because you'll lose the slides whilst you're in the breakout room. Um, Have a think of some examples for yourself or for your coachees or whatever you've noticed in your teams perhaps where you can see these filters being applied. Where do you see examples of your coaches or your teammates deleting information because it doesn't fit, changing it and making something different out of it or generalizing? So five minutes to have a chat in your groups about specific examples. Make some notes because you're going to use them again in the next exercise.
0: Mm-hmm. Thanks, All right, everybody. I will open the breakout rooms. You will see an invitation to join if for whatever reason, breakout rooms make you too uncomfortable to be in, just don't join and you can hang out with us. Um, mm-hmm. But I, it, it's totally up to you and I will throw in the chat um, or Christine, if you could write in the chat, delete, distort, and generalize. Um, and then that way they'll bring those three pieces with them and then, we'll call you back you'll have a one minute warning before you return okay all righty see you in just shortly
1: for examples of where they've seen those happen
2: that's lovely thanks so much for that
1: okay cool so we have about 45
0: seconds people are starting to join back now i did remember to turn the recording back on so then we'll be able to do a bit of debrief while we um,
1: before we move on okay cool so it looks like we've got one group back maybe Cool. All right. Well, let's um, hang on for a few more, and then we'll get some feedback.
0: Okay, I'll go ahead and just stop your slides so we can see everybody.
1: Yep. Cool. Mm-hmm.
0: While we be brief, and then you can start it back up. And we have ten seconds,
1: and then they will be
0: sucked back. <laughs> it's always so strange.
1: Yeah, you just get grabbed back. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, welcome back, everybody, and
1: um, I'll hand it back to you, Christine. Fabulous. Okay. So, who wants to share some examples?
3: Uh, Arjun, this side. uh, In our group, we discussed, uh, you know, people shared a couple of instances. In one team, there is a super positive person, and everything is hunky-dory always. Uh, But then we found out that maybe he's he was applying filters like delete and distort. So even if he doesn't want to hear bad news. But at the same time, someone else, uh, Amit uh, from our breakout room shared that he has an exactly opposite person who is always negative. But maybe he is also applying the same filter. So I mm-hmm. think that was an interesting, uh, you know, insight for me that <laughs> it goes both ways, both positive ways. or negative. It doesn't matter. It's like uh, filters do work. And me personally, I, I uh, you know, generalize is a filter that I see everywhere. You know, like mm-hmm. you said, I, I don't think it's only the case for children. Even adults uh, generalize a lot. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah.
1: Cool. That's great. Thanks, Arjun. Anybody else? Yeah,
0: share I? something and ask you Christine uh-huh. um if probably I'm going in a different direction so shut me up but um the selective thing uh, not just for hearing um, I feel like we become selective in various things like who do I who do I become friends with who do I socialize with who do I think I will be compatible with and like we all do that in love uh, Mm -hmm. instead of trying to leaving it more open
1: to society. Yeah, and you're right. And that's a whole bigger area, isn't it? A a, a whole um, area of what fits our values and our beliefs and how do we choose things that work? Do we choose things that are comfortable? Do we look for diversity? Yeah, you're right. There's there's a whole area there of, of how we're influenced in life. Yeah. Anybody else want to feedback? Okay. So I can give Uh, a quick example if you like. Thanks, Amanda. Um, My example was that I've got a colleague that gave us, uh, sort of was complaining about an individual, and she used as proof an email, and she said, look, look how she's talking to me in this email, and I couldn't see the same thing at all. I was like, well, actually, that's okay. They're trying to say this, they're trying to say that. And she saw it as really defamatory against her and how rude
4: this woman was being. And I saw it as fairly normal and neutral. And therefore, we had looking at the same piece of text. We were using different filters and she was distorting it in a different way to how I was clearly, you know, distorting that information that I was seeing.
1: Yeah, that's a fabulous example, Amanda. I think we've all seen that, right? Either an email that's triggered us or that someone's shown to us that's triggered them and uh, you just both can't see the same thing. Yeah, fabulous. All right, I'm just gonna come back to a question from Martin. So Martin says, how does that explain people like Hitler? What What's your well, thinking, that,
2: that, Martin? Actually, we, we we had, in the short time we had, we had a great answer and a great, a great point on that. I mean, when yeah. you, after you showed that slide and you mentioned about how, you know, people murder with good intent, potentially, uh-huh. I thought, you know, how do you extend that to a monster? Um, and, very, very extreme, but it's the delete filter.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: And if you can kind of begin to, not, not, not kind of, not, not anyway, explain away, but yeah. apply that model to it, you can kind of explain anything, can't you? And mm-hmm. then um, Matt answered something about, you know, the the vacuum in the wider system about what was going on in Europe at that time. And it, you can kind of see how the model applies. Um, mm-hmm. And if you can explain it in a, in a crazy example like that, then you can certainly apply the delete and the distort filters to what we see in our normal lives mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah. That's, good
1: that's great thanks martin that's really great example you're right it's extreme and if you can see it in an extreme example then how much can you use it on a general day-to-day basis cool all right well let's carry on with the next section. So we're going to have a look now at reframing, because obviously we want to start thinking about how can we help with this? What is it that we can do? So what does NLP say about reframing? So perception is projection. So what we see in our head, what we understand in our head is what we see in the world. The world is a reflection of what's going on inside you. So what you expect to happen will happen because you will filter out anything to the contrary. Your focus becomes your reality. So this is saying this lovely little cat looks in the mirror and sees a lion. The cat's going to go out and believe it's a lion and behave like a lion, even though it's a cat. So what we believe in our heads, what we look for, What we expect to see becomes our reality. So that's what it is that we need to address here, right? This is the culmination of our filters at work. Because all of our filters play together to give us our reality. So how are we going to deal with these filters then? What are we going to do? So let's talk about reframing. So reframing just means looking at something differently. And there's two types of reframe described in NLP. The first is a content reframe. So that's saying this behavior could have a different meaning. So say for example, you join a one-to-one with your boss and your boss is frowning. And you think, oh, he doesn't want to speak to me. He's really angry with me. He hates me. And you spend the next half an hour struggling with this call because this frown meant that your boss wasn't happy. There could be other meanings for that. Maybe your boss has a headache this morning. Maybe your boss couldn't get the audio to work on the call. Maybe they've got a screaming child in the background. There's a number of things that could cause that. So it's finding that content reframe. Seeing that this one thing doesn't necessarily mean the thing that we've assumed it to mean. And the other reframe is a context reframe. So that's seeing that something could have a positive side to it. There could be a positive twist on it. So the example that I always give here is my son. He's autistic, he has ADHD, and he is the noisiest child in the world. He likes to sing at the top of his voice. I tell him my ears are bleeding and still he sings at the top of his voice. He makes a lot of noise. But I never lose him. I always know where he is because I can hear him. I know which room of the house he's in. If we went shopping and we got separated, I would find him because all I would have to do would be to listen. So that would be a context reframe. There is a positive side to this. There is a positive twist that I can use. So when we're using reframing and coaching, we're using that in our conversations to help people to challenge what it is they're seeing. What What is it that they're assuming? And it's about giving them choice. It's opening up different ways of looking at things so that they can make choices around what they're seeing. And it allows them to think more widely, it just opens up the possibilities that they would have. So our, one of our key questions here is going to be, well, what else could it be? That is what you think you've seen. And what else could it be? So is there a content? reframe could it mean something different or is there a context reframe could it actually give you something positive and helping people to think around that so that they can open up their choices so we're going to go back into our groups now and have a think about that so joining your breakout groups again think of the examples that you created in the previous session and think about some of the questions you might ask, the open questions or the observations that you might share with somebody to help them reframe, think more widely and open up their choices. So another five minutes in the breakout rooms
0: all right everybody and once again you'll get an invitation to join um feel free to join and then um, you may find that your your room has mixed up a bit because with people coming and going um, we have to reshuffle them to bring new people in to make sure nobody's sitting when outside when they want to be inside so now you're off you said five minutes
1: please yeah. That's suddenly going to. There we go. All right, everybody. Okay, welcome back. So, does anybody want to share?
4: Yeah. All right. So I got um, something I'd like to share because I think I just had some, uh, some a good uh, perspective on, on the situation that I had that I, I hadn't thought of before. And I want to thank a for that. So I had a situation where we were doing some agile games to teach uh, some of the directors and management, <clears throat> some of the practices and principles that uh, you use in agile and Kanban specifically. And so uh, we used gamification as a way to teach those principles. Um, After the training was over, my director uh, basically went back and said, hey, it was a great game. So my perspective, my filter was, is that he missed all of those concepts and was just promoting the game. Um, Then uh, in the last conversation, in reframing it, uh, we had a discussion and perhaps... um, it was his filter that he was applying, deleting some of those principles and practice, some of those details, but promoting it on a more generalized level. To him, it was like by him promoting the game, he was promoting all of that stuff under there. But my perception was is that he should be promoting each of those individual practices. That's, that was my measure of success, right? But it wasn't necessarily his measure of success.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, um, I think, one of the things you touched on there Travis was having a conversation when you're both applying filters and it's just crazy isn't it how much you can both be changing the meaning of things what you say one of the NLP presuppositions that we didn't talk about is the meaning of communication is the response you get back it's not what you said it's what the other person heard and said back so yeah you can have crazy conversations when you're both filtering yeah Great, thanks, Travis. Anybody else want to share?
2: I just think that's a great example from Travis. I mean, there Mm -hmm. he was promoting a game, and the boss thinks that's a great game, and he's not happy about it. You know, you've promoted a game. What, what, what a mis misalignment from both ends there. Um, You know, you're you're right, Christine. Double filtering going on. Mm Mm -hmm. you probably a double negative and it was all great
1: (laughs) absolutely (laughs) absolutely just the awareness around that isn't it that can just really change how we deal with things cool all right let's carry on then because i'm conscious of the time i could talk about this stuff all day so we're going to move on to our third section our third and final section which is about language patterns so people often use disempowered language. So they're using patterns that really show what's actually going on for them. So certain patterns are reflecting our beliefs that we're just, we're just powerless. We're just victims. There's nothing we can do. Everything is happening to us and there's nothing we can do about it. And we see all sorts of different patterns that show that actually we're not dealing with anything. We're just coping. These are just defense strategies. They're sticking plasters on a problem. So these, uh, these languages, these way of describing things, and we're going to look at a few examples, are just showing that we don't yet know how to solve a problem. So what we're looking for is picking up on these patterns and helping people to take responsibility for what's happening and to be empowered to do something about it. Let's talk about some of the um, examples here. So mind reading, cause and effect, value judgments, universal generalizations, necessity operators. These are some of the language patterns that NLP calls out. So let's have a look what these mean. So mind reading, we're all good at mind reading, right? You don't like me. How are we gonna respond to that? How do you know that? So again, we're thinking about filters. What is it this person is seeing? Filtering or not not seeing in the way that it was meant. So questioning, when somebody mind reads, how do you know that that's true? Cause and effect, you make me sad. Can we really make somebody feel a certain way? So the textbook answer to this I absolutely love. How do I cause you to choose to feel sad? Never, ever, ever use that. (laughs) Unless you really want to challenge somebody, right? I've tried it with my kids. It doesn't work. They just get angry, right? Yeah, that's quite um, a challenging response to that. But it's true, right? Why did you choose to feel sad? What happened that made you make that choice? Because it's a choice. Nobody can make you feel something, it's a choice. So picking up on that, that it wasn't that somebody made them, they took that choice. Value judgments. It's bad to make mistakes. And we might question who says it's bad? Whose value is this? Who's making that judgment? Universal generalizations, never and always. She never listens. I got this from my daughter once, Mummy, you never listen. So, what about the other day when you were telling me this and I listened and we talked about it? Well, yes, Mummy. Okay, well, you sometimes never listen. Okay, well, that's slightly better, isn't it? (laughs) We've introduced the word sometimes, but never and always. They are very, very strong statements. So is that really true? Never. Always. It's the kind of things that we can challenge people on. And necessity operators. I mean, this has got to be one of our favourites. I, I have to. I have to go to that meeting. I have to call my mother. I have to clean the house. And it's just that sense of complete disempowerment. I have to do it. I have no choice. So, we might ask, well, what would happen if you didn't do it? Do you have to do it? And again, that's trying to open up that choice because they use of that word have to rather than want to. We're looking for people to want to do things because they've made that choice, not to feel that they have to. So, those are the, some of the language patterns that you might see. So, for our third exercise, we're gonna rejoin our breakout groups and have a think about some, and sure, it doesn't matter if they're the same groups or different groups on this one, because it doesn't follow on. Um, think of some of the different examples that you've seen of this. When have you used these patterns? When have you heard your coachees or your colleagues use these patterns? And have a think about how you might challenge each one. What questions, what open questions might you ask as a result? of hearing these language patterns. So Cherie, if you're there, five minutes in the breakout rooms. Sending you all now. Thank you. And that's what I like, you do all these different things and you have your different hats and with different clients, you can wear a different hat. And as part of your coaching agreement, you might have asked how much challenge do they want? And if they want a lot, then that's the kind of thing you can do boot them over the edge and then help them <laughs> climb
4: out. Or well, maybe your intuition is that they are just there, you know, and they need that little push.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Absolutely. But not against. Right. Them.
1: So yeah. Maybe,
0: maybe
1: they need, okay. Cool. Welcome yeah, back, everybody. Back.
0: We, uh, yes. Now
1: everyone is back. Cool. So, what did we make of language patterns? What examples have you got to share?
5: Anything? Any interesting conversations?
0: I guess very disempowering um, usage of have to. We discussed both in, a, you know, this, like you, Christine, gave the example of I have to do it. But also we discussed the example when manager would tell you that you have to do it. So yeah. it's amplified
1: Yeah, absolutely. even more. Mm-hmm. yeah and how disempowering that is yes yeah and where's the choice yeah absolutely the word should as well mm-hmm. absolutely yeah yeah you're right elena there's a whole load of um very disempowering words should must have all of those words are so showing that there's there's an, a missing choice going on for somebody In in discussions with product owners in our group, we discussed that everything is high priority. Everything should be done. Everything is, you know, there's nothing that can fall off the backlog. And having those discussions and breaking down even, you know, one story at a time, you know, why, what would happen if if this particular story does not get done, Mm -hmm. opens opens up the possibilities and and, puts different lenses on from the product owner's perspective absolutely something might fall off mm-hmm. just looking at it from a different perspective yeah absolutely what would happen and then you can go on to talk about what would you do if that did happen mm-hmm. mitigate it absolutely cool all right lovely let's move there's, on
5: mm-hmm. uh yeah there's one thing uh, yeah. about uh, i thought i could quickly share uh, mm-hmm. so um, many people uh tend to have the habit of saying uh Uh, I want us to do this and see even if uh, uh, through the group meetings it becomes like uh, they uh, start with uh, I want uh, maybe it's a habitual pattern uh, but when it says that uh, I want us to do this uh, then uh, I, I feel uh, means being an outsider to the team, it's uh, just a facilitator. You could see uh, there is a, a drop in the interest level of the rest of the group because it is not a shared vision. It is one uh-huh. person's idea of doing things. So uh, the simple changes like, uh, how about we should do this uh, next time? So that yeah. uh, gets more enrollment or involvement to the course now. Uh, and
2: yeah.
5: that works wonder.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And you're right, there's something about that word I, isn't there? I want rather than we could. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Samit. All right, so let's move on. I just want to talk about one final example, which is a bit of a case study um, of something that you've probably um, all come across with coaches, which is imposter syndrome. So imposter syndrome is this psychological pattern where somebody really doubts themselves. They doubt their capabilities, they doubt their accomplishments, and they're constantly in fear of being exposed as a fraud. So they're just waiting to be found out. Um, It's a pattern that I've seen a lot among software engineers. So what is it that's going on when somebody experiences imposter syndrome? So we've got several of the patterns that we've been talking about today. I'm never good at what I do. We've got a universal generalization, potentially. They believe it's always true that they aren't good at what they do. So that's always the case. Delete filters potentially at play because any evidence that comes in to the contrary is going to be ignored and missed. Because they're only looking for what they're expecting, right? Perception is projection. So they're expecting to see that they're incapable. And that's what they go looking for. So all of those patterns that we've talked about today could be at play here. So how are we going to work with somebody when we can see that they're suffering from imposter syndrome? We wanna try and help them to challenge that, right? Help them to look for evidence to the contrary. Remember, they're applying their delete filter and they're generalizing. Ask them to think about times when they have done well. Go looking for evidence to the contrary. Do some experiments and see what they find out. And help them to challenge what they're seeing and what they're telling themselves. So, we're challenging the filters and we're challenging the negative language patterns that they're using. So, having had this experience with several people, um, having coaching conversations with people that have experienced this kind of thing, I'm going to share with you feedback from one particular person who I had a coaching conversation with around this area and this is what this person wrote back to me a day or so later. They said after our conversation I spent some time thinking about what we had discussed. I started looking for evidence for the assumption I was making and I found many things that contradict my assumptions. So this person has been able to go out and challenge what they're looking at, take their assumptions and look for evidence against these. And they went on to say, it made me think about things that I wouldn't have thought otherwise. And I came up with surprising conclusions that made me feel very motivated to continue to improve. I realized that I was wrongly assuming too many things and how I can achieve more in order to be happier and prouder of myself. So, to this person's credit, they've spent time thinking about what assumptions they were making, what generalizations they were making, the information that they might be deleting, and what it was that they always believed about themselves. And they've gone away and looked at that, looked for what they're deleting, looked for what they're distorting, and looked at it again. And as a result, this person is feeling motivated to improve, and feels that they can be happier and prouder of themselves. So just by simply helping somebody to challenge some of these filters and patterns, they can get some quite significant results about how they're feeling and what evidence they're looking for. And you can imagine, thinking about DILT's hierarchy here, you can imagine the outcome here. Because the emotions have changed the behaviors have changed there's motivation happiness pride the outcomes are going to be so much more positive for this person as a result so that was just one particular case study that i wanted to share that really covered some of these areas that we've talked about now so um conscious of the time let's let's wrap up so what have we said we've said that in our coaching sessions we can look for people applying filters look at whether their view of the world is reality or whether they are seeing things differently challenge some of their assumptions could it mean something else so helping them to use reframes to see things differently And looking at those negative language patterns. So when we hear our coaches using things like always, never, must. Helping them to understand what assumptions and generalizations they're making and whether they're taking responsibility for what's happening to them in in life. Or whether they're just uh, at the mercy of everything that's going on around them. So that's everything that we've talked about. any questions thoughts or comments that people would like to make
0: anything anyone wants to share Coming. Thank
1: you, I, I, I think I'm going to say thank you for this, uh, I think, very practical uh, walk into some small part of NLP that uh, I think I can apply pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Fabulous. Thanks, Olaf.
3: I have to say some of the feedback I got from the other coaches in the breakout sessions was very useful. Thanks for that.
1: Brilliant. That's great.
5: Um, yeah, I wanted to add, um, getting the last slide. Um, I just wanted to add an extra comment, um, on the words always and never, mm-hmm. uh, for example, when, uh, in, a, in a company that might promoting, we always do this a certain way or we never do that, that is really, uh, restricting the mindset of employees and uh, preventing them from thinking outside the box. And, yeah. um. Now, Having said that, I'd like to ask you, and you know, I really like the comeback. Um, how do I cause you to choose to feel sad? So I'd like to ask you, um, do you really feel that uh,
1: people's words have no influence on us? How do you mean? In terms of what they're saying or in terms yeah. of how we're responding? In terms of what they're saying? in terms of what they're saying well yeah and it sort of goes back to what Travis was saying that you 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 can trigger each other by having a conversation can't you one person says something that the other person perceives in a certain way um, and that can cause them to react and the reason that we get these reactions is because of our values and beliefs right so what we're saying that triggers somebody else is because it's hitting their values and beliefs and they might not be aware of that but that's when we get the emotion so it's about a bit like the email example that amanda was talking about where she was saying that one person can read something and be quite triggered by it and another person reads it and just can't see it because we all have different values and beliefs and so we all get triggered differently we all react differently to what we're reading and what we're seeing so um one person could say something to to someone else and it's fine and yet another person that would be really inflammatory for them so yes we all can get uh, affected by what people are saying but it depends on our values and beliefs and it depends on you know what emotions that causes i've no idea whether that answered your question vanessa well
0: i think yeah. i want to i want to add to that thanks sheree that um Part of the, part of the question, I think, is the you chose to get upset or whatever that yeah. was. Yeah. And this, the thing is, even if we get triggered, right? A, that's an input, and we we take information in, we process it, and then we have a choice what to do with that information. I can choose. I might feel angry as an initial response. But then ultimately, I have a choice if I am going to continue to be angry or if I am going to self-manage and say, okay, I don't want to overreact. Or if I want to say, wait, let me reframe that and look at a different perspective. When, so, so the reality is no one else can control our emotions we control our emotions now we may choose to not control our emotions and then we just get pushed around by everything that's happening around us but um that is also a choice it's a choice to be you know flip floppy emotional to just to let things do that to us and so i think it's important for us to realize that it is always a choice and so that's what that question goes back to so how did i How did what I said cause you to choose to be angry? Mm -hmm. Or I forgot exactly what the wording of the question was, but same kind of meaning.
1: Thank
5: you. Thank you for the answer. Yeah, that's a good one. And uh, I'll definitely keep this one.
1: All right. Anybody got anything else before we wrap up? Thank you Christine you're welcome Was somebody gonna come in
5: there yeah uh, yeah Christine Uh, hi hi Uh, is there any difference for the introverts and extroverts uh, while we try to apply the NLP uh, findings on how they use the um, specific uh, filters or uh, intrinsically i i feel yeah introverts tend to speak less and process much so uh, there is very few things which we could analyze on basis of what they have said so there has to be a whole lot of context frame which we have to bring in always uh, but uh, especially uh, for the imposter uh, uh, example which you were showing so uh, and software uh, developers or engineers tend to be introverts in most of the cases as well so how uh, do you have anything to share
4: about that
1: um i don't think that there is anything that you would do specifically differently because every person is different anyway right so when you're coaching people you're going to you, you're going to interact with them differently based on a whole number of characteristics, and NLP recognizes about I think there's 16 different patterns. I know um, Myers Briggs has a, a you know a small selection, and NLP has many different patterns, including introvert and extrovert that you can be aware of when you're coaching somebody. So yes, you're right. This is something to be aware of and to help them with. But I don't think there's anything necessarily that you specifically change with the techniques um it's just that you will work in the style that that person brings to the table right
2: sure
5: yeah
0: so christine there was one um question in the chat that i think Uh um big for a lot of people is how would you apply this to group or um team coaching
1: yeah i think that would probably be very similar in terms of When you're coaching in a group or a team, you're their mirror, right? So you're reflecting back to them what you're seeing. So you might want to pick up on some of the languages or pick up on the generalizations that the team as a whole is making and reflect it back. So I think it probably works in a very similar way because all you're doing here is mirroring it back, right? You're not actually intervening in any way, you're just asking those open questions that mirror back what you've heard. And I think you would do it in exactly the same way in a team setting, that if you're finding individuals or groups of individuals in a team, Uh, Representing some of these patterns that you might just ask the same kinds of questions to reflect that back to the group and reflecting that back to the group, right? Perhaps not back to the individual. So it might well be that um, somebody says, Well, we have to do this. Okay, what do the group think? Is that something that we have to do? Reflecting it back to the group rather than picking out the individuals, because that's probably going to be a little bit uncomfortable in a in a team scenario. Yep, and that would be my take. Um, sure. Yep. Also, keeping in mind
0: that the team is a single entity, is the coach. I mean, is the client. So that makes total sense. So, well, all right, everybody. Thank you for joining. Really appreciate um, you being here. And I know this was useful for you. I I totally love NLP, and um, I know that. Christine is great at the, at, um, at this topic. She is um, one of my favorite people to hear talk about this. And so she's got out on the screen her contact information. If you'd like to connect with her on LinkedIn or reach out to her, her website's also up there. And we'll be having our next session in two weeks. And in two weeks, we're going to talk about um, Agile HR. So some of the how, how does the function of human resources, people practices, those things in a company. How does that change when we're going to an Agile environment? And the speakers for that are Elena Vasileva, and I probably said that wrong, and Heidi Araya. And um, so they'll be presenting, and so we welcome you to join back. Same link, same time, oh, different time. That's my other announcement beginning next session. So in two weeks, we're going to move from noon till um, noon central time to 1230. And that would be from 6pm to 630pm in London. So everything will just shift a half hour later. Um, A lot of the people who attend this meetup attend another meetup that were, they were crashing into each other. So um, I moved hours out 30 minutes in order to allow that group of people to, to shift into both of them. So thank you for joining and we'll see you again soon.
1: Thanks everybody.